Hi there, I'm Barry Forward, and welcome to the Reboot Forward podcast. This is the podcast where we take a deep dive into the wonderful world of change, reinvention, transformation, and just plain doing something different. In particular, how it impacts the people who go through that change, what they've learned from their journey through change, and ultimately, what has allowed them to reboot forward. Today on the podcast, we're going to check in again with a guest who appeared on the show in October. Michael Puldy is the CEO of Puldy Resiliency Partners and has built a 30-year career around dealing with disasters, crises, and crazy adventures, as he calls them. He recently launched his own podcast called Risk Stories, where Michael and his guests discuss how people confront risk and have successfully, and sometimes not so successfully, navigated the never-ending and challenging maze of chance. In his business life, Michael has helped hundreds of companies navigate through business disruption, computer infrastructure failures, and data loss caused by a broad brush of reasons, including human mistakes, natural disasters, and all-out cyber attacks. Until recently, Michael was Director of Global Business Continuity at IBM and has focused the majority of his career on business resiliency. And that's exactly where our conversation takes us today. Resiliency. Just what does it mean for business and to us as human beings involved in those businesses? Well, resiliency, it's, it's really, if you look at the definition, it's effectively, I'll paraphrase, it's the ability to, to bend, to be flexible, to absorb, and then to be able to return to your original shape. And I have been, uh, I, uh, when I got out of college, I was a computer science major and I, was, I worked in aerospace for a while and then I worked in banking and I was, I ran data centers. That was my, that was my gig. And, and so I, living in Florida, there's a lot of natural disasters that go on. <laughs> there's hurricanes, there's lightning storms, there's floods. And, and so the whole concept of resiliency really just started, started then when I was working for the bank and we'd have uh, data center outages and, and the whole idea or a hurricane would come through and a tree would be in the driveway and you couldn't get to work or, um, you know, someone calls you at two in the morning. Well, there wasn't a computer dial up. You had to get in the car and drive to the office. And so the whole concept of resiliency, in my mind, is part of my evolution, really started there. And it's, it's how to really create an environment that you can always respond and you can keep going. You're contemplating a book right now. You're contemplating. I'll, I'll go that far. Maybe you are farther along in it uh, called right. the, Renaissance, the Renaissance of Resiliency. Correct. What's the hope for that? What do you, what do you want to convey? Well, the Renaissance of Resiliency is something that Again, I, I look back on my career in resiliency, and, and it hasn't stopped. Uh, even though I've retired from IBM, I, I've actually started a new, a new business called Pooldy Resiliency Partners, which is focused specifically on uh, in decreasing IT risk and improving employee safety. Because I think, you know, together, those two combinations really make up um, the majority of what you see along the, the challenges associated with business risk. And the renaissance of resiliency Goes, the idea is to go back in time, back to the, the 70s and, and 80s, which in, in our world, of course, is ancient history, 
But it, it, to go back to that time and talk a little bit about what resiliency and disaster recovery was then. And, and at that point, really, it was all about disaster recovery. It, there really wasn't any concept of resiliency or business continuity. It was that the IT environment is down. You know, how do we get it back up? How do we recover it? And then over time, the, the idea of resiliency came into play and it became, came into play more as a mental health term. In fact, if you go on the internet and you Google resiliency, you'll see some technology companies, but majority of the, of the, the um, search links that come up are related to psychologists and therapists and mental health. And in the, in the 2000s, so as we kind of got into the 21st century, that whole idea of IT disaster recovery started evolving to something they call business continuity and then full resiliency, which is how can you create business processes that can recover? How can you create a business environment that is always on? And then as we've moved into this high ultra driven tech world where really everyone expects everything to be on 24 by seven, the whole idea of resiliency, it's, it's implied, it's included in the social and economic fabric of how we operate. But the reality is, is there's breaks all over the place. So as a business, is it something that you uh, can learn how to do? Is absolutely. it something that's embedded? I, well, there's certainly, you absolutely can learn how to do this. There's no question about it. There, there's, I mean, in fact, my, the whole premise of my company is to help teach people and, and, and give them the tools and, and processes and, and know-how so they can ask the right questions and implement the right, the right actions. But the reality is, is you have to have a culture that wants this. You have to have an environment that, that really, um, you know, really begs. It says we will be always on. We will always be available. Um, you know, great example. I used to, I used to lecture on college campuses and, uh, and, and this was probably during the time period when people still had phones in their house. I don't know if you still have a, a, real, a real phone, but yeah, exactly. I, I don't have a real phone either, but there was a time that, and, and some of your older listeners will get this. If you picked up the phone, you heard a dial tone. And that was AT&T had the, had the business culture that you always have dial tone. Even if there was a power loss, you had dial tone, you can make a phone call because AT&T created an infrastructure and, and all the different Bell communities, they created an infrastructure where the power was separate than the power that came into the house. So you always had dial tone and it's that level of commitment at a business level that some companies have and some companies don't. And unless that, unless the company culture, and it starts at the executive level, at the senior most level of the company, if they don't, drive that message down, then it's not going to permeate throughout the, the climate of the business. And, and unfortunately, the customers and their clients will suffer. You, uh, you, you must look at other businesses, especially uh, we just have uh, gone through this pandemic. Uh, all the, the impacts on business are profound. They've just been, you know, quite startling to see how some businesses have thrived and some mm -hmm. have just gone the way of the dodo bird. They disappeared. Exactly. Um, how much of that is based on their, their kind of adoption, as you say? Because you, you really talk about it. It's about the culture. It's about having this culture of resiliency. How much of it's based on that? I think it's a, there's a huge amount. And in fact, if you look at 
Um, if you go back to the first quarter of this year, when the pandemic started to unfold and there was still the, well, is it a pandemic? Is it not a pandemic? You know, we see it in China. Then we saw it spread to South Korea and Japan and Italy. And, and you saw companies at that time, which was late January, early February, you saw companies at time starting to test and exercise their plants to say, okay, well, if this hits our communities, um, in, 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 and I'm, I'm, t- I'm talking at a global scale as well as the com- these countries where the pandemic had not hit yet. You know, they're really like, okay, well, should we brace for this? Should we start developing new technologies? You know, f- people who aren't working from home today, do they need laptops? Do they need internet? Surprisingly, a lot of people um, did not have broadband internet into their house. Um, you know, they may have been using a hotspot or they may have been using the neighbor's internet or something like that. So, you know, how do you create the technology? How do you create the physical infrastructure associated with it? And then the process and procedures for something where someone is, uh, is working, you know, with 10 people in an office and now they have to work 10 people remotely. Um, I'll give you a great example. My, uh, my wife, she runs a law firm here in Los Angeles and it's a small firm with a, uh, it's, it's about 10 people. And, uh, and I started talking to her about, you need to start figuring out how you are going to work remotely because you may not be able to go to your office. And so she took appropriate steps. And amazingly, when the state of California gave the order that, you, and it was, one, it was essentially within 24 hours to 36 hours, you cannot go into your office anymore. Um, you know, fortunately, she was ready to go. And, and then she would tell me she was talking to firms at other or partners at other firms in Los Angeles and how um, only the partners had laptops and the paralegals and the admins, they couldn't do their job because they had to, they, had, they only could do it if they went to the office. But the whole con, the whole idea that a disaster recovery, the disaster is going to hit us is kind of, some of us just like, well, Hey, well that happens somewhere else. It happens, you know, the hurricane season down where those people have hurricanes, not here. Exactly. It's, it's not going to, it's not going to happen to me. <laughs> that's, that's a great, uh, that's, that's a, a great line. And, and the reality is, I mean, you know, if you think about it, um, you know, the probability of it happening is small and, and uh, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I have insurance if something, something happens. And, um, you know, how, how serious do I need to be about to, to take that? And, and I think that really the, the big question is, you know, do, can you afford to be caught with unguarded? Can you afford not to be prepared? Um, and, and the comment that, you know, we used to use in, among some of my peer group was, you know, yes, you may have insurance to cover business loss or insurance to cover a, a fire or, or earthquake type scenario. But the reality is, is you don't want a check from your insurance company. If you're a homeowner, yeah, you want your check. But if you're a business owner, you want your business. You, can, you can't afford to be down for three months. You'll, you know, the cha- by then all your clients have gone to your competitors. So why is it, why are we just talking about this now? Why is, why is uh, Mike out there contemplating a book about the renaissance of resiliency? Uh, shouldn't have been top of mind all along? Well, I think it comes in phases. It's, it's really in terms of, of events and disasters. Um, you know, another, another kind of uh, 
you know, dark humor in the in the disaster recovery business continuity resiliency businesses. Well, we could really use a good hurricane right now. <laughs> Um, or a good earthquake. Well, I was in I was in the PR business for a while, and we said we we geez, we love the smell of a good crisis in the morning. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly exactly right because that's really when people get in get in gear and they realize they need to they need to take action and do something. Um, I mean, I've uh, you know, like I, you mentioned at the beginning, and I have been in this business for a long time and, and have seen it from a lot of different different angles and a lot of different cultural angles. And, you know, the reality is culturally, everyone pretty much looks at it the, the same way is it unless you've really unless you have been personally burned by something, it is very tough to feel the need to go out and spend some portion of your, um, you know, your precious annual budget um, you know, buying spare computers or having extra network lines, or I'm going to take a day or two days out of my month to run simulations and tests to see how my employees will perform in case of a, of a statewide power outage. So if if you if you had a CEO in front of you, and I and again, it, I I guess it would get, it vary on the size of the company. Big company would, would sure. have the different person, sure. but let's just say a small and medium sized business out in front of you, and you're they come into your office and they're they hey let's uh, why should I be even care about this thing that you're talking about? What would you be advising them first off? Well, one of the first questions I would ask would be, you know, if your client called you. And this is a really good client who has your cell phone number and you've told them, you can call me any day, 24 hours a day, I'm there for you. And if your client called you at 4 a.m. and said, um, I just got a phone call from someone in the Ukraine saying that they have all my personal data and all my client information, I need your help. Call me in six hours once you've figured it out, what would you do? Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that's the first question I would ask. And, and then the second question is, is really how long, how long can you afford to be down? Can you be down a day, a week, a month? And then what would that do to your business? So over the pandemic, we saw that people just weren't ready for that. They didn't, okay. they hadn't mapped that in that uh, we're at it. We got everybody at home for three months, four okay. months. Exactly. And uh, unfortunately, you know, we have an, a number of, uh, you know, a number of downstream effects on that. I mean, obviously, the, the economy has taken a, a huge hit around the world. Um, some countries less than others, because they've taken certain precautions uh, with their, uh, their operations and how they've treated their, uh, uh, their people. Um, I think the technology has, uh, has advanced a lot. I think people have really jumped in. I mean, think about just Zoom. Uh, and WebEx and some of these other video tools and how they, uh, at the beginning, they got hammered. Um, you know, there was a lot of instability issues. And in fact, you would hear the story was, yes, at the top of the hour, I can always expect my Zoom to crash because that's when everyone's starting their, you know, meeting for that that point in time. So I think a lot of, a lot of people just were not prepared and were, were caught off guard. And quite frankly, I think a lot of it, could have been prevented by simple testing and planning 
when uh, ideally before, but but probably in January and, and in early February when you started to really get the the perception and the wave of the way this virus was starting to carry across the world, that um, it was pretty clear there was no country in the Western world that was going to be left unscathed by this. You, I mean, we've been talking a little, you know, about resilience in a business sense, and you say it comes from, uh, we often hear it, if you Google it, you're going to end up in the mental wellness, uh, you know, sure. that kind of front. Is there a direct, I mean, is it directly parallel? Is it? Is it just the same? I mean, are we talking the same thing? Of course, the what we do uh, is differently, but do you see the the concept of resiliency being the same business and in our personal lives? I, th- I think so. I, I think the people that respond best, the people that can, f- the businesses that can find their best way through this are the ones that have a, a mental outlook and a, a certain mental posture, which allows them to absorb the, you know, the, the, the arrows that are coming at you from every different direction and you have the ability to triage and prioritize and and your leadership capabilities can come out either if you're working with a team or through, or if it's even just you know your your team of yourself and you can find ways to navigate through all those pitfalls to get you to the other side i, I think the the base the base elements are the same regardless of what you're talking about and just the added element that people were really affected during this time. So the, the, we had all these, these resources, if you will, people uh, who were really impacted uh, by the, the, the whole mental attribute that came along with this, uh, oh no, what next? Exactly. No, I, I think it's been, it's been absolutely tragic. I mean, you know, you, you read about the impact to the, um, to the homeless communities, you read about the, the people in the restaurant industries and, and these other service industries. I mean, you know, Disneyland just laid off almost 30,000 employees, um, you know, in the last couple of days. And, and it's just, it's just shocking um, the amount of impact that we're seeing that the reality is, is for some people, no matter how, how well they prepare, you know, sometimes you just, you just can't do it. There's just, there's just not enough. And, and in that case, you know, you got to, I think people need to really dig deep and try to be creative and find another way that a path that they may never thought was possible before suddenly becomes an opportunity. You may, you must have seen some success stories through here. I mean, and I maybe, maybe even going back beyond the the pandemic, where someone has a company, an organization has really been resilient and demonstrated in flying colors. Do you have an example you can share with? Share with me. Well, I, I have to say, I mean, I mean, I know I've, I've retired from IBM, but I have to say I was very, uh, very proud of how IBM actually did perform through the pandemic and and positioning our employees around the world and and our clients to create an environment where, quite frankly, you know, up up until I left, because obviously I don't know what's happened since then, but up until I left, you know, we were able to support every contract and every client and and keep people um, comfortable. 
as we really kind of executed our business continuity plans and RT disaster recovery programs around the world um, to really kind of take the pieces on the chessboard and, and move them around to support our the, where the needs were most. And, and the other thing too, and I referenced this at the beginning is, you know, IBM tested a lot. We tested a lot of things around the world. I mean, for, for example, in Singapore, it's a Singapore is a relatively, um, you know, small country. There's around less than six million people that that live there, and IBM actually has a pretty location there. We pretty big location. We took all of our employees and we started simulating everyone working from home. And what if we only had a small percentage of people who could go into the office? And um, how would we deploy masks and hand sanitizer to individuals and and, and communications to clients to make sure that they felt comfortable. So there was a lot of different um, activities that, that, you know, had to execute in a lot of different ways to make that possible. And that just doesn't happen. You have to plan, you have to test it. Um, you have to find where your um, soft spots are for it to work. You happen to be working in this uh, fortunate that had an employer who uh, was all over it and uh, supported you in the work you do you did and we're doing. Are we going to see more folks, uh, more companies uh, have folk, uh, people on their staff who are called resiliency directors or uh, uh, business continuity resilient specialists? Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're already starting to see more business continuity and resiliency type uh, job titles uh, that are out there in, in the, uh, in the um, uh, I'll say the global 2000 space. Um, I think we're getting close to the point where you, even though you do see a chief risk officer in really large companies, I think it's time for companies to start looking at a chief resiliency officer who can look at all different elements of, of, of that type of, uh, of issue, uh, employee safety, uh, IT disaster recovery, uh, cyber attacks, um, you know, all these different threats that can really impact a, a business and how you perform and, and really where the soft spots are. And of course, the bigger the company, quite frankly, the, the larger the need. Um, so resiliency is your middle name. Uh, what's, what, what, what is your, your kind of vision for your business? Because you're, you're just, I say you put your shingle out, you're probably working already on it, but uh, what is what is this business all about? And uh, eventually, how does uh, someone who's interested get a hold of you? Well, Pool D Resiliency Partners, it's it's there's really two two major elements to the resiliency program that I want to focus on. One is the uh, information data risk management. How can we reduce your information data risk? How can we reduce that profile? And then employee safety. How can we improve? Um, the safety of your employees. And you know, quite frankly, I mean, the pandemic has really created a lot of opportunity because there's a lot of people working from home that do not have the right ergonomic configuration and they're not taking breaks every so often and their, their mouse hand is getting cramped up. You know, that carpal tunnel syndrome that we haven't heard about in a while, it's starting to come back. Um, you know, so, so really it's, it's ways that I can help companies and, and really more, I'll say, the, the mid-market companies, uh, financial companies, uh, technology companies, manufacturing, retail, legal, legal houses, you know, the companies that not, haven't necessarily looked at it because the, the whole concept is, is really risk versus budget. You know, if I had unlimited money to spend, I'd probably have zero risk. If I don't spend any money, 
I have a lot of risk. So what's that balance? And, and that's what I want to do is I want to help businesses get to that balance. And they can find me at pooldepartners.com or on LinkedIn. Simple as that. And I, you bring up you bring up one point, though, it's this and just relating to the pandemic. I I'm fascinated by it. You're talking to someone who works from home. I had an office. I had people, different contracts that I had. It's gone the way it's 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 out the door. We're we're now I'm fully ensconced in my home office now. For others who are, are companies are looking at it, might be seen as passing some of the costs on to the employee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just really curious to see how much investment companies will be willing to make in that ergonomic setup or even the technology that's needed to get people going. Exactly. It's, that's always a, a good question. I mean, you know, it used to be, I mean, I've seen a number of studies on, on investments to, for employees and investments in, in risk protection. And, you know, it's, it's as little as zero, uh, of course, but, you know, 2% seems to be the, the common, uh, you know, watermark, meaning 2% of the corporate budget. And then I've seen companies that, that have as high as 25% of their budget, they spend on protecting, not just protecting their employees, but protecting their IT infrastructure. Now, those are probably more in the, the few than the many, um, but, but it, you, you have that kind of spectrum where you're, certain companies are spending a serious amount of money to make sure their employees are safe and comfortable, and I, I want to work for those companies. Well, thank you, uh, Michael, and uh, just uh, for joining us again on the podcast, and I thank you for sharing this, and all the best with your, your consultancy, and hopefully people will look you up, uh, and, uh, and business thrives moving into 2021. Well, thanks, Barry. Thanks for having me back. It's always good to talk to you. Thanks again to Michael for joining me today on the podcast. If you'd like to have a listen to Michael's new podcast series, Michael Puldy's Risk Stories, you can find them on Apple Podcasts. You can also find all 25 episodes of the Reboot Forward podcast, this one, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other major podcast platforms. If you know anyone who you think we should be talking to here on the podcast, send me a note, barry at rebootforward.com. Until next time, Let's reboot forward.